to um, something I've been dealing with an offense in my heart over the last year, and it'll, I think it's all gone. I've forgiven, and my heart is to forgive. I want to forgive, but then sometimes these something will remind you of something and you feel like you're going to barf or punch someone in the nose. And as I was worshiping the Lord, you know, the Lord just saying, throw it at him, just let it go. And I felt like I was supposed to tell you guys that whoever is offended, if you're offended with somebody, if somebody irritates the bejeebers out of you, you're mad, if you're just sick and tired of their arrogance or sick and tired of how they treat people or sick and tired of them, uh, you got to let it go because you need to be set free. And Jesus, as you know, that, you know, the Lord's prayer, you know, as I forgive you, you know, as I forgive, you forgive. You can receive the grace of God, which we talked about in Sunday school. It's the power to say no to ungodliness. It's the grace of God that's gonna bring you through. And he offers his grace freely, but you gotta let it go. And there's some petty peeves some of us are holding on to, and some of them, they're major but we got to let it go. You just got to lay it down and let Jesus take it. So anyway. Amen. Amen. It, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I want to I piggyback off that for just a minute. We're going to be in, in February on Wednesday nights going through The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. It's been a number of years since we've gone through that book. Um, and it deals with offenses because here, here's the thing. We, we think it's less of a problem to be offended or unforgiving towards someone than it is to commit murder. And we look at people outside our church doors and we, we see sexual immorality or we see all kinds of gross, terrible sins and we think that it's not as big of a deal to be offended at others, but it's a huge deal and it's a deception of the enemy to put God's people into bondage. It doesn't matter what kind of life Jesus came to give us if we take the bait of Satan, the offense that he puts in front of us to trap us and to bind us. And so we're gonna go back into that study again, so I wanna prepare you for that. But the study we're in right now is a book by Robert Morris called Frequency. It's about hearing the voice of God. And on Wednesday night, I made a copy of um, a sermon, two sermons by Robert Morris that are on the back table. Even if you're not a part of that Wednesday night, uh, I'd encourage you to take one of these and uh, listen to it this week. Uh, the message that Mark shared with us last week about getting into the presence of God, this is about living in the presence of God. And as I listened to that this week after I listened to his sermon, I thought this tied in so well with what he was sharing with us and what we've been studying on Wednesday nights. And so I want to encourage you to listen to that. And I mean, I don't, I don't give you these things because I feel like, you know, this is like the only truth that's out there, but I feel like this is what God is saying to us. And uh, I, I'd encourage you to make the time this is, I joked, and I'm gonna throw Mark under the bus again. Uh, I joked that these two sermons are shorter than Mark's sermon last Sunday. So you can listen to these, and uh, it was a great word. I mean, little long, but it was a great word, and it needed to be said, and uh, I was encouraged by it. I hope you were encouraged by it uh, last week too, but I think this is a, a kind of an echo of that and just tying together what I feel like God is saying to us as a church. It's important for us to hear what God is saying to us and respond to it. You know, it's not enough to hear Mark's message, and if you can't even remember what Mark preached, then you need to get a copy of that and listen to that again, because we have to apply these things to our lives. Amen? It's not just that you said amen or you came to the altar. It's what has changed in my life because of it. So we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids um, for Children's Church, so they want to meet their teachers out in the foyer area. Uh, I am just convinced that my, my prayer for us is that we become a church that Jesus came to create. I believe Jesus came to set up a church on earth, the body of Christ, that walked in power, in righteousness, and just knew who they were and lived it out. Came to give us life to the fullest. I don't know that we've really ever seen it. We've never seen it, I've never seen it in my lifetime. I've never seen a church walk in the fullness of God. Um, I don't know if it's even possible to walk in the fullness of everything God has for us because we're always moving forward, but we're gonna work toward getting closer to that fullness. Anybody wanna come? Okay, good. We're gonna go, Keith, me and you. We're going after Jesus. I think Mark will come with us too, for sure, but um, <laughs> if, if you got your Bible, <laughs> if you got your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter seven. We are in our series uh, going through the book of Hebrews, and uh, if you've not been a part of these messages, 
there's a real big, I don't know if the, the platform shifted, but there's a huge crack here. I'm afraid I'm gonna fall into it, but um, just letting you know in case I disappear, what happened? <laughs> it wasn't the chariots of fire. It was uh, me falling in that hole. <laughs> what was he saying? Oh, the book of Hebrews. Um, good gravy, we're gonna be here all day. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers. These were men and women that all of their lives followed the Old Covenant. They followed the Old Testament. And then along comes Jesus, and they accept the message about Jesus. They accept this new covenant, but it doesn't go the way that they've expected. Okay, now they're being persecuted to the point that some of them are, are being robbed, some of them are being beaten, some of their, them and their loved ones are being killed, uh, it's even being done for sport. They're being put into the Colosseums in Rome to be eaten by lions in front of masses with people cheering it on. They're being burned at the stake. I mean, there's so much that's happening and some of them are beginning to doubt that there's really a victorious life because they're looking around and they're like, you know, I thought Jesus came to give us life to the full. And so they're much like us. Okay, to a greater extreme, because I know that we're looking around at some inconveniences, but we've yet to understand persecution the way that the church in the, this century and the way that the church around the world is being persecuted. Uh, we're not in danger of our lives right here today, but some of them were, and so they were being tempted to turn back. And the writer of Hebrews writes this letter to remind them how superior the new covenant is to the old one. I mean, it's not just like that God tweaked the old covenant a little bit and that Jesus Jesus, you know, was just a little bit better than Moses, and Jesus was just a little bit better than the other high priests. He was so far superior that they, they shouldn't even consider for a second turning back. And that's what this whole letter's been about. And the last message that I shared with you introduced us to this guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a king and a priest of a place called Salem. No record of it anywhere in the scriptures except a few verses back in, in the book of Genesis when Abraham comes and encounters this guy and somehow from that, David in Psalm 110 prophesies that the Messiah is gonna come in Melchizedek's line as a priest forever. And then the writer of Hebrews brings that back to us and introduces us to this guy Melchizedek and we're gonna kind of expound on Melchizedek today and this new covenant. And for the next several weeks, we're really gonna look at the new covenant and what it means for us. But today, we're in Hebrews chapter seven. We're gonna start in verse 15. This change, this change of priesthood, this change of covenant has been made very clear since a, a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. The psalmist, this is David, Psalm 110. The psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 18, yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. The law never made anything perfect but now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. God said to him, Psalm 110 again, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There were many priests, verse 23, under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. I mean, death is a pesky thing. You can't keep your job after you die. It's just hard. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save Hosanna, those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners, has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, then for the sins of the people every day. They had to do this. Man, that's just crazy. 
But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. So really, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, out with the old, in with the new. And he's gonna, he's gonna develop this further. I feel like for literally for weeks, we're gonna talk about the same thing over and over again, but that's okay because it's the new covenant and Jesus and all that it has. And so we probably could talk about it every Sunday until Jesus comes back and never get to the end of what it means for us. And so it's gonna be okay. But the old priesthood, what he says, has been set aside. The old requirement was that you had to be in the tribe of Levi, but that's been pushed aside because the old covenant was set aside because it was weak and it was useless. The law never made anything perfect. Romans chapter three, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Romans chapter eight, verse three, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have and in that body declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us Pay attention to this phrase, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So we're gonna come back to that. But what we need to see is that the law never made anyone perfect. It had to be set aside. It was weak, it was useless. It only told us how sinful we were. It reminded us that every single day, you and I had to make sacrifice for our sin because we were not right with God. And those sacrifices weren't enough of blood and of animals to cover our sins forever just for the day. And they really didn't even cover us for the day. But Jesus covered it once and for all. And so this new covenant required a new priesthood. The new priesthood is like Melchizedek. And David in Psalm 110, which is mind-boggling to me, that David in the Old Testament looks back into the law, sees this guy named Melchizedek, and prophesies that the Messiah's gonna come, not from the tribe of Levi, but in like Melchizedek. And he's gonna be a priest forever. How did David know that? Who told him? What's he doing? I mean, they should have stoned him for thinking such a thing. How dare he speak against the law of God that Moses received on Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning. This was the basis of law. This was God's word to them. And David somehow, a man after God's own heart, draws near enough to God to get a picture. He doesn't see what's around him. He doesn't see the limitations of the law. He sees spiritually a new priesthood that's coming and he prophesies it hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. He prophesied it, that this is what was gonna happen. That should give us confidence that God knows what he's doing. That God isn't in heaven right now making this up as we go along. If you've been following the presidential election, you see that it seems like these candidates are just making it up as they go along. But our God is not like that. He knows the end from the beginning. And he throws in some obscure guy named Melchizedek, the priest of, and king of Salem, in the book of Genesis, just so that later on he can say, I put him there for a reason, to show you that this old covenant was just a shadow of what I was gonna do. And the thing is, as he says, this old priesthood didn't have an oath. Why is that important? Because when God gives his oath, it's binding. It will not be broken. There's only two times in scriptures that we get this oath. One, he gave to Abraham, and we've already talked about in the study of Hebrews how God kept his oath, his promise to Abraham. He's not broken it. He's kept it to his people even when they've broken covenant with him. God has never broken covenant with him. Them. There was no oath when the Levitical priesthood was established. I know that God spoke with thunder and lightning and he wrote it on tablets of stone, but he didn't establish it with an oath because he knew it was gonna get changed. But he did establish the new priesthood with an oath. 
that he is a priest forever, Jesus, in the order of Melchizedek. And so remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing to these people that had followed the old covenant all their lives. They thought it was the best thing. They thought this was it. And then all of a sudden, this new thing comes along and they they buy it and they're like, yeah, we're gonna take that, but it doesn't seem to be working out real well for them. In fact, it seems just as flawed as the old covenant. Because in the old covenant, you know, we were, we were persecuted and we were, we were cast off and we, were, we had to go into captivity and that seems like what's happening under the new covenant. But what the writer's trying to get them to understand is don't look at this with your natural eyes. Look at this with your spiritual eyes. Look at this. Jesus is so far superior to the old covenant. Don't you dare consider going back. That thing had no chance to save you. But David said that God has put an oath on this one and it will never be broken. Jesus is the one that saves us. And literally, this passage that we read hinges on these two verses. These are some powerful things. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. That word save is that big word that means everything we sang. That song, savior, restorer, rebuilder, redeemer, all of that is in this word save in the scripture. Healer, restorer, redeemer, all of those words that we sang, that's this word. He has come to save his people. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did it for their own sins, but Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. So in other words, Jesus at one time offered his blood on the cross once and for all. That means he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to salvation. God in 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ is reconciling, bringing the world, not bringing Huron first, not bringing a few good church people, not bringing Republicans, not bringing Democrats, not bringing independents, not bringing the Tea Party, not bringing certain Americans, not bringing Russians, bringing all people. He's bringing the world back to himself through Jesus. He is no longer counting their sins against them. In other words, because of Jesus, the sins that all of mankind have committed are no longer being held against them. Now, if we don't put trust in Jesus, those sins aren't erased from our account, but God is not counting them against us. The reason that you are, you perish, we don't go to hell because of sin. Did you know that? We go to hell for not believing in Jesus, because sin has already been dealt with. He's no longer counting sin against us. But if you don't put faith in Jesus, well then your sins aren't atoned for. That's what sends people to hell, not putting confidence, faith, and trust in Jesus. John three sixteen. He wants all men to be saved. He wants Hillary to be saved. He wants Trump to be saved. He wants fill in the blank with whoever disgusts you. He wants them to be saved. And if he lives in us, we will want that too. He's not only willing to save us, he's able to save us. I love that word, he's able. Jude verse 24 says, all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. We should not be living our lives in fear that we're gonna fall in this hole right here. He is able to keep you. Just put your confidence in him, in what he did, not in your ability to live up to what he did, in what he did. Here's the thing, you and I cannot possibly live up to what he did. That's why his sacrifice was once for all. And so we don't put fear in our hearts, we put faith in our hearts. And we continue to pursue him. Second Timothy, Paul says, I know the one in whom I trust and I am sure he is able to guard what I have trusted to him until the day of his return. 
Salvation is based on Jesus from start to finish. He is my righteousness. I am not more saved this week because I was a good boy in my behavior. I'm not today being able to stand right here in front of you and say, follow me as I follow Christ because I perfectly followed the, the commands of God today, this week. No, it was my faith in Jesus from start to finish. Now, when I misstep and when I do something that's contrary to his word and out of character as a son of God, I repent. I'd say, God, I agree with you. That has no business being in my life. I don't want to camp here. I don't want to live here. I want out of here. But it doesn't make me more saved when I do good or when I do bad. Then we're adding to what he did. My salvation is from start to finish dependent upon him. And Romans chapter eight says that Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, as Hebrews also said, interceding for us. Now, I don't know if you understand what that means. But when you think of Jesus right now in heaven interceding for you, don't think of it like when you make a mistake, when you sin, when you act contrary to God's word, that Jesus goes into action. And he turns to the Father and he says, well, you know, you need to forgive. He doesn't even speak. The sacrifice, the blood that he spilled and carried into the holy of holies in heaven and poured on the mercy seat continues to speak today. And so the moment you sin, his blood is already speaking on your behalf. When you do well, his blood is already speaking on your behalf. It's not whether you do well or don't do well. It's his blood that is right now interceding for you, good or bad. That takes the pressure off so that we can live free. You don't have to carry around condemnation and guilt and trying to please dad. I just want dad to be proud of me. Dad loves you. If that doesn't prove it, I don't know what else will. He loves us. And he alone is our salvation. And we're gonna talk in the weeks ahead more about this new covenant and all of that, that what it means to us. But today I wanna talk about one phrase in the rest of our time. Because it says that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. That phrase, come to God through Jesus, is important. The word in the Greek literally means to move towards, to come near, to seek association with, to agree with. Literally, it's in essence becoming one with. Why is that important? Move towards, come near, seek association with, agree with, become one with. Go to Isaiah 53, verse five and six. This is a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah, who was coming to, to die for us. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, who's, who's all of us? All of us, the world that he came to save. Like sheep have strayed away. We, all of us, have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's standard. So before salvation, everyone in this room, we were on our own path. Now, there are not degrees of our path. It's not like I was 50% on my path and 50% on God's path. If you are not on God's path at all or in any way, shape, or form, if you are 1% on your own path and 99 on God's, you're, all, you're on yours. It's not like we can be partially on God's and partially on our own, living partly for God, living partly for ourselves. No, it's, you're, we were on our own path. None of us were right. None of us were righteous. None of us were on God's path at all. Even if we were morally good, even if we were doing nice things for people, even if we were raised in church, it doesn't matter. We were on our own path. Salvation is turning from our wrong path to his path. It's surrendering our lives and beginning to agree with God. God, I was walking on my way, but now I'm going to walk on your way. And it's agreeing with him in that. And so if I begin to break his commandments, if I begin to hate my brother, if I begin to hold unforgiveness towards them in my heart, if I slander them, then I'm on my path again. I'm not on his. 
And so I have a choice. I either admit it and agree with God that what I'm doing is not right. It's not how a son or daughter acts. It's not how my heavenly father acts. And I stay on his path or I go back to my own. That's the choice. And I can make that choice and he'll freely allow me to make that choice. You say, well, Pastor Tom, doesn't that mean our salvation? No, because his blood covers me. But I still have to choose to walk in his path. Too many of us today want to ask Jesus into our hearts and stay on our path. I mean, we just, we want to stay on our path and just lived up a clean version of our old life. You know, I'm going to stay on, I'm going to live for myself and I'm going to protect myself and I'm going to do things my way, but I'm going to do it without swearing and I'm going to do it without smoking and I'm going to do it without drinking and I'm going to do, what is that? That's our life. That's our path. That's not salvation. That's not radically different. I mean, we don't, Lord, help us to stop just trying to be good enough. The scripture says, don't be good. Don't be better than the world. The scripture says, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Love your enemies. Don't just treat your enemies better than the next guy. See, we we need to stop taking our cues for honor and respect from the world around us. And we need to take them from our heavenly father who is perfect and start acting like him and stop disrespecting people he died for. All right here? Okay, good. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross. Now these are people who claim to be followers of Christ, but they're enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Whatever feels good, whatever I want, they're on their own path. I mean, they claim some experience with Jesus, but they're on their own path. And it's not that they're struggling to avoid sin, they're just following their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But as we, but we are citizens of heaven, we're on a new path where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. In Romans chapter six, the apostle Paul writes about this power of sin that Jesus broke in our lives. And he says, so you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to your sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. You're on his path. You were dead, but now you have a new life. You use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You're no longer living under the requirements of the law. Instead, under the freedom of God's grace. See, that definition of the freedom of God's grace has a whole lot more responsibility than the freedom of God's grace to live on my own path and just accept Jesus' sacrifice for me. No, if I want to accept the, the, it doesn't disdain the love and the power and the grace that Jesus offers to me, but I can't accept that and stay on my own path and call it his. I got to move and I got to get on his path. And every time my life contradicts this book, I repent, I turn away from it. The biblical words for salvation over and over again are those words, repent and believe. Repent and believe. The word repent means to turn away And the word believe is to pursue. That's how you need to think of salvation. I was on my own path, but I repented. I turned away from my own path, and I believed on Jesus, and I walked his path, repenting and believing. And I do it to this day. And both of those things are symbolized in water baptism. Why do we get water baptized? Because we're dead to our old life. We are dying to our old path and we're being raised to a new life. Now we've been given the power, the strength, and the grace to walk this new life, to live as sons and daughters of God. Don't just be content to be a cleaned up version of your old self. Live with the power of God that is gonna transform lives of people around you. Why are people in America not being transformed by the church? Because we're just living our own life in a cleaned up version. We're not living in the power of God. We're not loving our enemies. We're not blessing those who curse us. We're not praying for those who persecute us. We're not even praying at all half the time. 
It's just a cleaned up version of my old life. I don't want to be morally good. I want to be perfect, just like my Father in heaven is perfect. And here's the thing. It's not my own effort. It's just, it's Jesus' blood. But I want to start acting like a son of the most high God. I don't want to act like a clean version of Tom Brantner. I want to act like Jesus. And when I fail, I'm not going to excuse it, and I'm not going to stay there, and I'm not going to rationalize why that type of behavior is okay because of this verse or that verse. I'm going to turn from it, and I'm going to stay on his path because that's the path I've chosen to walk. It's time for us to to stop thinking that we can stay in sexual immorality, and we can stay in slanderous conversations about our boss or about other people, and that's okay. No, that's our path. We've got, to, we've got to get done with sin. We've got to get done excusing it. We've got to recognize that when it comes into my life and I get in this book and I realize this book shows me, man, there's some evil talk coming out of my mouth. I'm not going to blame it on the person I'm talking about. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from it. I'm going to go to someone else and say, hey, if you hear me talk about so-and-so, tap me on the shoulder. You help me live this out. Because I don't want to be a cleaned up version of me. I want to be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. But we live in a culture that constantly criticizes and complains. And we don't even know that we're doing it anymore. And yet the Bible says don't complain about anything. We do it all the time, don't we? We, I said we. Because we do. We're raising children in a generation where they complain about everything. That's just a cleaned up version of me. I want to be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect. And when I complain, it says, God, I don't trust that you're in control. I want to take matters into my own hands. And there's examples of it all throughout the scripture. We're taught to turn away from our old lives and to follow him. There's so many passages of scripture. Let me just read a couple to you so you don't think I'm making it up. First John chapter three. See how very much our father loves us. He calls us his children. That's what we are. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all of us who have this eager expectation how many of you eagerly expect to be with Jesus when he, when he comes? Okay, good. This, then this is for us. Will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. All sin is contrary to the law of God. Well, it doesn't sound like my father loves me anymore. Yes, he does. He loves you enough to get in your face and say, stop acting like that. That's not who I am and that's never how I treated you. So act like me. Let my love flow through your life. You know that Jesus came to take away our sins, not cover them, take them away. And there's no sin in him. So anyone who continues to live in him won't sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they're righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when they keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Meaning, it's not that they don't ever sin or ever make a mistake, but they don't camp out there. They don't practice it or excuse it. They've been born into God's family. God's life is in them. They can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. The book of Jude says the same thing. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Our churches have ungodly people in that. Don't look around. Don't try to find them. That's not your job. Okay? But this is how we recognize an ungodly idea. Okay? Saying God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. You ever hear that taught? Doesn't matter how you live. God's grace. Yes, it does matter how you live. There's a responsibility of grace. 
And the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they didn't deny our Savior, Jesus. They denied our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams, not this book, from their dreams, they live immoral lives, they defy authority, they scoff at supernatural beings. These people scoff at things they don't understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them and they bring about their own destruction. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals commemorating the Lord's love, they're dangerous reeves that can shipwreck you. These people are grumblers and complainers. <gasps> They're not homosexual, they're not murderers, they're not thieves, they're grumblers and complainers. Yeah, that is an ouch, isn't it? They live only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and flatter others to get what they want, but you dear friends, Build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. See, you're not earning your eternal life. It's still the mercy of Jesus that gives you eternal life. Okay, so don't start thinking, well, hey, I'm living it. I'm doing pretty good. I'm loving people. I'm forgiving. Aren't you proud of me today? He loves you, okay? He's not proud of you because you acted like he gave you the power to act, okay? It's all on him anyway. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. One more. Can I give you one more? Because this one's a good one too. Throw off your old sin for nature and your former way of life. It's corrupted by lust and deception. And let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Don't let sin, or don't sin by letting anger control you. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Don't use foul or abusive language. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, put you on his own path, guaranteeing you'll be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ and God forgave you. Imitate God in everything you do. You're his children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of of Christ. He loved us. He offered himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Is this making sense? That there's this deception that's going to come that says it's okay to be on your own path and just be a cleaned up version of yourself, but that's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is death to your old way and going this way. It's no longer excusing and saying why it's okay to mouth off to someone because they deserved it. No, you, we all deserved it. Thankfully, God didn't mouth off to us. He just died. And big sins, little sins, it doesn't matter what sin it is. If it's in our lives and we're in this book and this book shines a light on it in our lives, we don't have to, no, okay, you don't have to do this. Oh, woe's me, I'm a sinner. I mean, he knows, okay? He died for you because you were hopeless and lost. I mean, that's, that's a given. All you gotta do is recognize it and say, God, I agree with your word. I'm on your path and I agree that this has no place in my life because you've made me a son. You've made me your child. I'm a child of light. I don't, there should be no darkness in my life. You, I, get this out of me. And if you gotta take some steps the way Jesus said, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, don't just make excuses. Don't just say, well, you know, God understands my weakness. Yes, he understands your weakness. He was weak too. He became one of us so he could sympathize with us, not make excuses for us, but empower us to stay on this path. Why does this matter? Because this is the way of revival. This is the way of salvation. This is the way that's gonna transform your workplace. This is the way that's gonna bring the power of God to your school. This is the way that's gonna bring the light of salvation to America. Humble ourselves, pray, turn from our wicked ways, and God will heal our land. We can't stay on our path and just 
you know, seeing amazing grace on Sunday, that kind of transformation or that kind of weak and anemic old covenant is not going to save anybody. I show up here on Sunday to get one more dose of God's blood to cover me. No, we got to live empowered. We got to live on this new path. We've been deceived. We've been duped. We've been lied to. Just invite Jesus into your heart and then change a few things. No, you are on the wrong path. Get on this path. Start making changes to everything because nothing we were doing before was him. We were living for ourselves. In the Old Testament, we're told a story about Lot. Do you remember Lot? Lot lived near the city of Sodom and then the next thing we see about him, he's in Sodom. And Peter, in 1 Peter, I know I told you one last scripture, but I didn't mean to lie to you. It was, thank goodness for grace. That was terrible. You're paying attention, I'm just checking. But this passage, uh, because God also rescued Lot out of Sodom, because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He's especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. That should say something. Those are the two major sins of America, okay? We follow our own twisted sexual desire and we defy authority. Lord, help us. We're proud and we're arrogant and it's time for repentance and it's time for it to begin in the church. But verse 14 says, they commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. Um, God can rescue us out of that. But Jesus taught us, don't, don't be weighed down. Don't let your soul get weighed down by, by these types of things. Okay, you're in the world, but you can't, you can't camp out in it. Okay, you, you have to go to work and you have to be around ungodly people and you have to hear swearing. I mean, don't, don't try to stop people from swearing. God will protect you if you're in that environment. I mean, because it's so, so hypocritical of us to tell our, our coworkers we don't want them to swear around us, but watch movies that have swearing in them. Yeah, that's just weird. Okay, so he'll protect you from that. You don't have to clean up everyone's speech. Just live an empowered life around them. He's able to protect you. He's able to keep you and guard you as you follow him. It's not how perfectly you follow him. It's just that you follow him and you stay on his path. You don't wander back to your own path. But remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus says that in Luke chapter 17. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back. She wasn't saved from Sodom. What was in Sodom got in her and she drifted back to her old path. Don't go there. Get on his path and follow him. He's your savior. He's your restorer. He's your redeemer. He's your defender. He's your healer. He's your help. Whatever you need, whatever problem you have, he's got it. He's got it. Pursue him. Pursue him. I want you to bow your heads with me as we get ready to close. I just want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit now, what, what's he saying to you? Because maybe you're here today and you've never admitted that you've gone your own way. Maybe you've invited Jesus into your heart. Maybe you've had some moment of salvation experience, but you've never said, you know, Lord, I'm turning from my my way and I'm, I'm surrendering my life to you and maybe the way that the scriptures have pointed this out to us today uh, you're you've lived as this cleaned version of yourself and today you need to say i need to repent i need to turn from my old life and i recognize the need to do that today it doesn't mean that you're not saved and it doesn't mean uh, that you've never been saved what it means is that there's too much of your own path in your own life right now. And if you're here and you would say, Pastor Tom, I, I'm gonna pray today and I wanna repent. I wanna tell God I wanna turn from my life and I wanna turn to his. 
And I don't want to make excuses and I don't want to just live up a cleaned up version of my old life. I want to live this new life that he has for me. And if that's your prayer right now, would you just slip up your hand and say, I'm going to repent today. I'm praying that prayer. There's too much of my own path and I want to get off of it and get on his. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? I want to repent today. Bad attitudes, grumbling and complaining. I've made excuses for a lifestyle. Thank you. Anyone else? The rest of us, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because it's the rest of us. If you've repented and you've gotten off that old path and you're on this new path and you're not living it perfectly, I get it, none of us are. But are we believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness? Are we no longer living just for our life here on earth and so we're not moved by just the circumstances? We understand we're citizens of heaven. We're in the word, we're people of prayer, we're people of worship, obedience, we're, we wanna stay in it. We, we know that we're living in Sodom, but we don't want our soul to be vexed, we don't want it to be weighed down. And so we're agreeing with God and we're walking out of that and uh, we're not even letting a hint of sexual, you know, we have that verse, don't let the, there be a hint of sexual immorality, but sometimes we stop there. It says, don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, not even a hint of it. I mean, we're in the word because this word tells us how we should live as sons and daughters. It tells us how our perfectly, perfect heavenly father lives and we're gonna pursue that type of lifestyle because we wanna be perfect like he's perfect. And we're grateful that even while we pursue it, his blood is making intercession for us. And so I don't need to get proud that I'm doing it pretty good and I don't need to be condemned that I'm doing it pretty bad. His blood is interceding for me and I'm gonna stay on that path and I'm gonna be a son and a daughter of God and I'm gonna live in a dark world and I'm gonna shine a light. And that's all of us. It should be all of us to pursue him more and more, to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness more and my own path less. And so I'm raising our hands for all of us. We need to pursue him more. Because the way to stay on his path is not just try to avoid our old path, it's to pursue him. Pursue his righteousness and his kingdom. And if you do that, if you pursue his kingdom and his righteousness first, he promises that everything you need gets added back to you. See how that works? If we live for our own selves and we, we try to defend ourselves and we try to protect ourselves and we try to provide for ourselves, we end up getting nothing because we can't provide for ourselves and protect ourselves and we lose out on what he has for us. But if we'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all of that gets added on top of it. He really is our savior, our restorer, our redeemer, our healer. He really does love you. He really does have plans to prosper you. Don't let what's going on around you keep you from walking in what he's created you to be. My prayer for all of us is that he gives us sight to see what he sees. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. As we close service in prayer today, I'm gonna to pray specifically for those of you that said, I, I need to repent. And I'm gonna encourage you to pray that same prayer. And I'm gonna pray a prayer of blessing over us that we would pursue him and his kingdom and righteousness above all else. And that more and more we learn to walk on his path. And if you, as I'm praying, if you want to come and you want to find a place of prayer at these altars, they're going to be open to you. I want to invite you to come. If you need prayer and you want someone to agree with you, we want to take time to do that at the end of this service. And so come and stand here in the front. And if you're standing, that signifies to us that you want someone to come and pray with you and we'll do that. 
If you wanna kneel on your own and just be with the Lord, we'll, we'll allow you the time to do that as well. And so Father, thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp for our feet and it is a light for our path. Man, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword and today it cut, it cut deep, but God, it cut like a surgical tool. It's a clean cut. It's a cut to cut away our flesh, to crucify those sinful desires. And so we, we thank you today for your word that's exposed some areas of our lives that, that need to be removed. And today we stand in agreement with you. We walked our own path. And God, for those that have raised their hands today and said, you know what, I, I, there's too much of my own path in my life. As they repent before you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and enable them, that you would come with such grace and mercy today, that you would put them on that path to follow after you, that there would be no condemnation today for those that are in Christ Jesus. But God, that your mercy and your grace would fill their hearts and lives right now. And for all of us, I pray, God, make us a church that sees as you see. God, that isn't content just to be better than the other church. That isn't content even to just be better than we were yesterday. But God, that as we look into your word and as we see our perfect heavenly father and as we are assured that we stand because of the righteousness of Christ, help us to begin to act like you. Help us not to be content with anything less than who you are. Help us to be kind to the ungodly because you are. Help us to be good to those who don't deserve it because you are. Help us to love our enemies because you did. Help us to pray for those who persecute us because Jesus, you did. When you wept over Jerusalem, when you prayed for us, we wanna be perfect like you're perfect. We don't wanna excuse even the smallest of sins in our lives. We wanna come up to a higher level of repentance, higher level of humility, higher level of brokenness, higher level of honor and respect than we have ever known before. We wanna be a generation that rises up to take our place. We wanna be a part of what you're doing in these last days, building your kingdom. And so we surrender ourselves to you. Once again, we affirm, we agree, we're on your path. And we're not gonna turn from the right or the left. We're gonna follow you. So God, I pray your blessing on this body. As we leave here today, God, that you would bless, that you would keep, that you would cause your face to shine on us. God, that you'd be gracious to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, again, these altars are always open if you want to see.